We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Irish Breakdown Podcast. We are just a day away from spring practice officially beginning for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. An exciting spring that we're really looking forward to. So what better way than to give you all a little bit of a preview. If you joined us yesterday for the show, you know that we heavily discussed the offensive side of the football. Some key storylines to keep in mind heading into the spring. We're going to flip it over to the defensive side of the football, talk about some of the storylines that you should be keeping your eye on. We know that we certainly are, things that we want answered, questions we have, and players we're excited about, obviously heading into spring ball. So going to hit on some key storylines, also going to talk a little bit of recruiting, the second segment of the show, some key visitors, of course, during spring practice that will be on campus, 2024 recruits, 2025 targets. Also, some committed players that will be on campus as well over the next few days. So, a lot to get into here. Of course, we'll be hitting a mailbag in the third segment of the show. So, at any time during the show, if you want to hit a mailbag in the in the chat, put a little MB in front. Really kind of helps us kind of ease along and get those questions in order. Very much appreciated. Of course, I'm the director of recruiting here at IrishBreakdown.com, Ryan Roberts, joined by Mr. Brian Driscoll, the publisher here at the site. And I know, uh, Brian, there's exciting times, obviously, just one day away from the spring officially kicking off, talking some defensive football today. But this is one of the more fun times of the year, man. A lot of optimism in the air, new coaches ready to kind of fulfill and to see how this, what the 2023 season may bring, man. So how excited are you, obviously, for working through the spring here? Well, for me, it's also a little bit, you know, I haven't been to spring practice in a couple of years because of some policies that aren't there anymore. So I'm obviously excited about that. It'll be nice to kind of get back out and talk ball, you know, with my own eyes of like what I see. So that'll be a lot of fun. Very much looking forward to that. Uh, It's a great time of year, right? I mean, you talk about the recruiting visits are heating up. We're going to talk about a ton of kids that are going to be on campus this weekend. Spring ball is heating up. And we get to put some of that other stuff behind us, right? Like that's the thing. We get to put – the coaching BS behind us. We don't have to talk about Jack Swarbrick as much because, you know, he's not out there coaching and uh, you know, the people that are his supporters aren't out there coaching. So, you know, we get to talk about things that are more fun and, you know, it's important for the team too, Ryan, but this is a really important period a beginning a very important period for recruiting in the 24 and 25 classes as well. And we'll dive into that. I find it fascinating that there's as many, if not more, 25 kids coming on campus this weekend as there are 24 kids, uh, which says a lot of things. So it's just a fun but also very busy time of the year uh, for us, certainly, as as we kind of wade through all of this. But I'm just looking forward to seeing the helmets back on again and for us to get started talking some ball and less of that other stuff that we've we've had to talk about for the last several months. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, I mean, there's been some negativity for sure, but I think that this is kind of, this is the launch point, man. Like, you know, players are obviously locked in, coaches are locked in from inside the program, from an outsider's perspective. Like you said, there's a lot of visitors that are going to be on campus. I mean, there's a lot of 2025 kids that are going to be here. There's one in particular that's going to be here for the 24th and the 25th. Of course, the 24th is the pro day for Notre Dame. I forgot to mention that too, right? So you're going to be having NFL scouts on 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 site this weekend. Some general managers for, will for sure be on, on site this weekend. And they're going to be obviously, you know, a lot of different avenues of the football world here. So there's going to be a tw- like one 2025 kid in particular that's going to be here for the pro day and then for the practice the next morning. So to say that a lot of stuff is happening this weekend in South Bend is a massive understatement. I mean, the 2025 list this staff has put together is something special, to be honest, as far as the, the first initial visitor list that we've seen. Obviously, of kids coming this weekend. 2024 kids, key targets that will be on campus as well. I'm excited to get into, obviously, the recruiting side. But, I mean, more than anything, man, just from a general sense, we love game days, obviously, you know, covering Notre Dame football, right? And you're going to start to see what the 2023 team is going to look like. We've talked about it. This is the foundation period. This is seeing what players step up, what players take starting roles, what players really buy in to what the coaches are selling on a day-to-day basis. This is where it begins this week. Well, that's what's so fun about this, right? This is our first chance to see what is the 23 team going to look like. And it, again, it's going to look a lot different on you know that last Saturday on, in August is it, than it will today. But at least we get our first glimpse. It's our first chance to see Sam Hartman in a Notre Dame uniform. It's our first chance to see the new Notre Dame coaches in action. As you mentioned yesterday, it's our first chance to see like what the energy is like with Jared Parker as the OC. Not that it'll be better or worse. It's just going to be different. What's it going to look like? And then, of course, on defense, Ryan – yeah, that's kind of transitions us into on that side of the ball. Yeah, what is going to be different this year? Is it just going to be more of the same? Is it going? Are there going to be some adjustments? Are there going to be different players? I mean, we know Isaiah Foskey's not around anymore. The Adam Miolas aren't around anymore. There's no Brandon Joseph, no Houston Griffith, who feels like he's been at Notre, had been at Notre Dame like forever. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of changes, but then there's a lot of continuity from a coaching standpoint. You know, at least from the on field assistant coaches. Well, you know, but there is a a, a new GA and Max Bulla. Well, the yep. he, for all intents and purposes, the linebackers coach. Even though he's just a grad, just just a graduate assistant. I say with air quotes because I mean he j- graduate assistants how they got him on the staff. Just like James Laronitis last year, right or wrong, the reality is how Golden has made them the de facto linebacker coach. What's that going to look like? So there's just so many interesting aspects of it. Who steps up? Right, this happens all the time. You lose Julian Aguara and Khalid Kareem, two 
excellent defensive ends, and then bam, Dalen Hayes and Adi Tagumba Ogandiji step up. They depart, and then bam, Isaiah Foskey breaks out, right? Like, that's what the good teams do. You lose players. They're, they're tough losses. You don't really know how they're going to be replaced. Then you come out in the spring, you start to get a sense of, oh, that's how they're going to be replaced. Or hopefully you feel that way by the end of the spring. And that's that's what I'm looking forward to, right? It's, it's getting answers to those questions and finding out, you know, what those what that's going to be like and what are the themes that we're going to discuss. And, you know, for me, it really starts with the coaching. And yep. Al Golden had a quality defense last year. Wasn't bad. Definitely wasn't great. In some areas, it was it was a, it was graded out really high. The you know the passing yards allowed, yards per attempt was pretty good. The overall total defense was pretty good. Yards per play, middle of the road. Third down, middle of the road. Rushing, about on par with what it's been. Didn't get a whole lot better. Red zone terrible. There's a lot of things that you look at, but then you kind of watch and you're like, yeah, I know the results were good, but you're just watching a play and you're like, man, if and they make a lot of mistakes, right? How do they get those things cleaned up? So that's my big thing is, you know, my number one storyline is what's Al Golden going to do different? Every single coach, every single one should look at his team and say, how can we get better? Right. And the answer is never, well, we're, we're year two in the system, so we'll naturally be better. Just keep doing what we're doing. No, I don't think anyone should look at that. Georgia shouldn't look at that. You say, okay, we did really well here. Let's keep that rolling. We weren't good here. How can we make it better? How can we adjust our practice plan to make it better? How can we ins- change our our teaching instruction on tackling to make sure we're tackling better? You know, how do we how do we do things from a practice and preparation standpoint to make sure our linebackers are more consistent with their execution? That our defensive linemen are using their hands better. That our you know our safeties are are taking better angles to the football and coverage. All those type of things that need to be improved from this football team. What do they do to address those things in practice? And then, of course, is he willing to make any schematic changes or is it just, well, they're going to do better with it this year because they're in year two? I don't know the answer to those questions. I know what I want the answers to be, but I don't know. And that's really where, when you talk about the key storylines, Ryan, that's going to be the key one. That's going to be the main theme for me throughout the entire spring. And, I mean, yesterday when we did the offensive side of the football, we talked about the a lot of the coaches to start the show too, where it's like this is a – you know, there's a couple holdovers, obviously, from the 2022 season with Dela McCullough, Chancey Stuckey, and then obviously Jared Parker's technically a holdover, but he's in a completely different position. You're bringing in a new quarterback coach. You're bringing in a new offensive line coach. So there's going to be a new energy around that side of the football. It is a completely different conversation from the offensive side of the football, though, to the defensive side of the football. Because the one thing about the offensive side of the football, especially with Coach Parker taking over as the offense coordinator, you don't have the answers to those questions. Everything's an unknown, right? Like the unknown is that, you know, is whether there's going to be a different energy, what the format of the practices are going to look like offensively. There's a lot of question marks as far as what exactly we're going to see. Defensive side of the football, you have a more known commodity. You know, we had a spring last year where although a limited basis, we were able to see a little bit of what how the defense ran practice, what Al Golden likes to do as far as, you know, just kind of the tempo of a practice. All those things are known commodities. The biggest question mark for me on that side of the ball is, what is the maturation? I'm not talking about maturation of players. That's a natural thing, right? How, what does a player do going from freshman to sophomore year, junior to senior year, and anywhere in between? I want to see if there is a little bit of self-identity understood this offseason of like, hey, we need to do this better. This really worked for us well. We need to hone in on that maybe even a little bit more. There are certain identities on the defensive side of the football. I'm just interested to see if it stays consistent from one spring to the next or if there is a little bit of a changing of understanding of this team, right? Like, do we need to function a little bit differently? Do we need to focus on certain areas over the other? Do we really need to hone in on some strengths that we have on the, on the defensive side of the football? So there's more of a known commodity defensively but I think that, it, it, in my opinion, if you see a little bit of a maybe a difference of structure, a difference of energy, just slight differences, I think can make all the difference for this team because it's not a lack of football know-how, right? Like Al Golden knows the game of football. All these defensive coaches on Notre Dame staff know defensive football. We, we know this, right? They wouldn't be in the position they are if they don't. But the key here is understanding what went well last year and what didn't go well? What needs to be improved? What needs to take a step forward? So natural maturation of the defensive side of the football with so much 
rollover. I mean, you mentioned Max Bulla. That's really the only major difference on this defensive coaching staff from last year. Everybody else came back and is intact. So what does it look like from one spring to the next? How much change is there from what we saw from this team last last spring, last fall, and then now what it's going to look like heading into 2023? So obviously we'll be, we'll be keeping an eye on what we see from a co- you know practice structure and if there's any schematic changes, which I doubt we'll see really any schematic changes, Ryan, just because we're only going to see one full practice. I don't, I don't think we're going to really notice that. Most of the periods we'll see will be like individual stuff, like uh, tackling drills, one-on-ones, things like that. It won't, we won't see a lot of that. But I'm, I'm curious to kind of – it's more of like what are we going to hear? You know, what are the coaches going to say? Are they going to say the right things? Are they going to do the right things? We'll find out. You know, we'll find out. But that's something that's true for every coach. I mean, every, every you're, Georgia just won the national championship. Well, guess what? They're going to have different personnel this year at a lot of spots. You know, they're not going to have, you know, the same number two tight end that they had last year. That's going to alter what their 12 personnel looks like. They're going to have a different quarterback this year. They're not going to have a 30 year old quarterback this year. So, you know, they're going to have to figure out what they're going to do there. They lose a, a great tackle on Broderick Jones. They lose Jalen Carter. So their team's going to look different. So they've got to adjust. They got to adapt to the personnel that they have. And that's where I why I constantly harp on this all the time, Ryan. You watch Georgia's defense in 2022; it was still very good, but they did some things differently than they did the year before because their personnel was different. Same thing offensively; they they were a different team today than they were in 2017. They've adapted their personnel; they've adapted to what they can do. And those are the things that I'm looking forward to doing. Are they going to adapt to the personnel, or is it just this is our scheme and it's up to the players to fit it? I'm not saying they will do that. I'm saying that's the question that you have for a lot of teams heading into this spring. The second one, Ryan, to me is defensive line. I mean, that that's a big one for me because we have kind of a two, threefold kind of look here, right? Number one is the position battles that you and I discussed the other day. You know, who's going to emerge at the Vipers? You know, who Jordan Patel will we expect to be the starter, but who steps up and has a good spring to say, hey, I need to play as well. And then that then impacts your third down defense. That could really impact who you're going to have on third down. You know, where does Javante Jean-Baptiste play? I expect him to be a big end. I keep being told he's going to be a big end. Do they end up moving him to Viper for some reason? What would cause that potential move? Would it be somebody stepping up? Is it an injury? Who, who knows? Who steps up behind the interior defensive linemen? Those are going to be question marks. Where's the beef going to come from? Are they going to really push to get Gabriel Rubio and Aiden Kana on or ready to go? Does somebody kind of break out that not a lot of people are talking about? Not a lot of people talk about Jason Onye, right? It's it's the veterans, and then it's then it's like the rising sophomores, the young guys like Tyson Ford and Aiden Gobira, who I can't wait to see those guys this spring. I can't wait to see what the rising sophomore class looks like. But then we kind of forget about the Jason Onyes that kind of break out and and you know in some years and become really important parts of the rotation. Does that happen this year? Those are all questions that I'm curious to see, Ryan, and and to see who who steps up, who develops. Does Nana take the leadership we've seen from him in various videos and things we've heard in the weight room and other things and carry that into better production? I don't know. Does the light go on for Alexander Ehrensberger? And those are two veterans that I'm very curious to see if they can make their presence felt this year. It's a big spring for those two guys. That's Jason Onye and Alexander Ehrensberger. Yep. If they don't have big springs, they're going to get passed up. If they have big springs, Ryan, those are two of the most naturally gifted veterans that they have. Yeah. You, you know, Jason Onye's, I've I've told he's up to almost 290 pounds now. And he's over 285. He's 6'4". He's got long arms, right? He's a pretty athletic kid. Remember, he went to uh, he went to Bishop Hendrickson in, in Rhode Island, right, to play basketball. Reminds me yeah. a lot of the kid that you were talking about from Illinois, Chris Burgess. Does the light go on for him or not? I, I don't know. Right. Uh, does the light go on for Alexander Ehrensberg? I don't know. If it does, it's going to be fun to watch. If it doesn't, then okay, who are the young guys that pass him up? Those are all the fun parts about this, Ryan. But when we look at the D-line, those are really the things that I'm going to be focused on is, is you know, the Viper position. You know, wh- how does the big end position shake out? And what who really pushes? I hope it's a great battle. The most fierce battle of the entire spring on either side of the ball is for those guys fighting to get into the rotation at defensive tackle. That's what I hope. Because if that's true, Ryan, then this defense is going to have a shot to be pretty good. Well, and I feel like there's, you know, people, 
I think people, some people are down on what the potential of the defensive line is in 2023 in general. You know, like I, I think I hear a lot of people that just kind of say like, you know, you need more talent up front and you need to, you know, be better. And there's not a lot of talent just kind of coming back. And I'm just like, yes, defensive line is a position where you always need to improve, right? Like that's a key aspect of your football team. But I look at that defensive line. I'm just like, there's a lot of talent there, man. Like, I mean, we've talked about Joshua Burnham a ton, right? Like it, if, if you can't get the most out of Joshua Burnham, that's not a Joshua Burnham thing. It's it's right. not at the end of the day. The the cool part is, is I feel like the guys, the veterans that we're talking about, you know, will need to have big springs or could potentially get passed up. Usually in most years, Brian, are like not as physically gifted as the young underclassmen, right? So you're like, that's why they're going to get passed up if they don't really take an opportunity to, to break out uh, in the spring. This year, I look at guys like Jason Onye and Alexander Evansburg, I'm like, those kids are talented. Like, there's no doubt about that. Like, they're not getting passed up because they lack talent. I mean, Alexander Ehrensberg is almost six foot seven, 255 pounds, length, explosiveness. He's talented. Jason Onye, you already mentioned, is talented. It's just about development, honestly, for me. It's like, do you get the most out of those kids? Do the young guys, do you get the most out of them? I mean, we, we keep talking about Joshua Burnham being this freak athlete, which he is, but is he going to be – Put, uh, is he going to be put into a, a opportunity to make a big play? Is he going to be developed properly? Those things I have questions about because there's a lot of talent up front defensively. Javante Jean-Baptiste and obviously Riley Mills and Howard Cross too, they bring back a lot of in-game experience. But there's a lot of players on this on this defensive line specifically that don't bring back a lot of def- uh, on-field experience. I mean, like I expect J- Jordan Botello to have a huge season, but he hasn't. He doesn't have like the most on-field experience of all time, especially right. for a kid that's going into his fourth year, obviously, right? So he's a little bit of a question mark. Joshua Burnham barely played last year, other than a couple of mop-up duty opportunities as a true freshman. Aiden Gabira had very limited opportunities in mop-up duties last year. Yeah, those guys are going into an opportunity where. This spring, it's open for them to create their niche, create their impact. And I expect them to get opportunities to play because ultimately there are no Isaiah Foskies coming back, right? They're, the Adam Alola twins are gone this gone after this past season as well. So there's good, there's holes to be filled. And I expect a lot of young guys to really take that opportunity and run with it. Will it be enough to turn it into a championship level defensive line? I have no idea, right? But I think the the key in the spring is to see that that growth start to mature, right? To see Joshua Burnham flash day in and day out, be consistent. To see a guy like Jason Onye be more consistent on a day-to-day basis. To see guys really start to carve out a niche into this offense going into the rest of the offseason. I'm really excited to see these young defensive linemen that are on the roster for Notre Dame. How they perform, Ryan, is going to have an impact on the linebackers. Like, look, here's the deal. Yes, there are things the coaches need to do to get more from the linebackers. There are things that the linebackers need to do to get more production from the linebackers, right? It's it's a two-way street there. There's a third piece to this, and that is if the D-line is more impactful and more productive, especially being more disruptive against the run game, Ryan, that then makes it better for linebackers. I mean, you you watch a lot of football. You're a linebacker. When you're making in in college football, if you're making a lot of tackles for loss, like ten plus tackles for loss, there's two reasons. Number one is, well, three reasons. Obviously, you you have talent and some instincts. Number two is there's scheme that allows you to attack downhill, run stunts, run pressures, blitzes, things like that. The third one is you have a defensive line that gets great penetration, whether that's getting a push, like pushing a a guy back, or shooting gaps, or getting offensive linemen to turn their hips because. The best thing for a defense to do is get the running back to make his cut, whether his insertion into the line, as far back as possible. When an offense, when a running back can stay on his track, whether it's inside hip of the guard, inside hip of the tackle, whatever the case may be, a gap week, whatever. If he, the longer he can stay on his track, the better it is for the back. The minute that a back has to declare three, four, five yards behind line of scrimmage where he's going. Now, all of a sudden, what you see is him cutting back off of a defensive tackle who gets a penetration, you know, a three technique. It's a great penetration. Back has to cut back, and then, bam, your Will linebacker is blowing him up in the backfield, right? I mean, that's part of it as well. Now, the D tackle gets no stats on that play, but he began the, what led to them making that tackle for loss. So that's the other thing, too, is the defensive line has to be more productive than it was last year. That's partly my concern, Ryan, 
is because you need better production despite losing three veteran players. My optimism comes from, yes, it's inexperienced. Yes, there's some youth, but I would argue that they have a chance to be even more athletic on the defensive line this year than they were the last two years. They're not losing any athleticism with Isaiah Foskey losing. Isaiah is an outstanding athlete, as we saw at the combine for his size. But the guys behind him are also outstanding athletes. You may be losing a little bit of length at the starting position, but you're not losing any athleticism. You're more athletic now at big end with Javante Jean-Baptiste stepping into the conversation. And then you're more athletic inside by moving Riley Mills into the three technique. So you're not losing athleticism. You're losing experience. And now some of your more twitchy players are now going into year two and three. Jason Onye. Josh Burnham, Junior Tualamaka, Tyson Ford, Aiden Gobira. How many of those guys? Donovan Heinish. I always forget Donovan Heinish, but I shouldn't. He's a good football player. I've heard some really good things about what he's doing. So which of those guys really step up? That's going to be a, a, a question because not all of them will. That's just no. unrealistic. Somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's not going to step up and perform well. Somebody's not going to mess with the coaches. That happens everywhere, every year. That's not an insult at the coach that – Ryan, that always happens. There's all that everywhere. So, but the more of those guys to step up, the better. Yep. And then we get to linebacker. And I know that you've been wanting to talk about this. I thought about putting this fifth just to torment you, but we're going to kind of go front to back. Biggest question for me is not even will the production be better? I'm a process guy, Ryan. Right, not an end game guy. The end, the process will take care of the end game. Will there be a legitimate competition this spring a linebacker? That's my question because I feel like if there is a legitimate competition at linebacker, and I'm talking all three spots. Although the reality is, I don't see anybody challenging JD Bertrand. But if they genuinely open up the competition this spring, and really make the veterans work to keep their jobs. Even if all three of the guys who started last year start in 2023, they're going to be much better linebacker if there's a real competition, yep. in my opinion. And that for me is the biggest question mark slash storyline of the of the of the of the entire spring from a linebacker standpoint. It's not specific players. It's will there be an honest competition at linebacker? Because if there is, man, I start getting excited about what this linebacker core could be. Because as you said before, there's never been a talent problem. Right. I'm not saying they have a bunch of first round draft picks, but to have a really good college defense, there's there's the talent there to do that. It's just the production and the level of play wasn't there. They open up the competition, Ryan. I don't see how it, again, real competition, meaning they let the the winner, whoever plays the best and does the best job and do all that starts. If it's a freshman, if it's a sophomore, if it's junior, if it's senior, fifth year, whatever. If it's a real competition, I have no doubt the linebacker position is going to make tremendous strides next year. It's such a unique blend of linebackers on this group. I mean, you have technically your three – well, you don't have technically. You have your three starters returning from 2022. You know, you have Maris Leifbaugh coming back at Will Linebacker. You have J.D. Bertrand and Mike. You have Rover with Jack Kaiser coming back as well. But as we all saw in 2022, linebacker position needs to get better, needs to get more productive, needs to become more consistent on a game-to-game basis. I mean, there were some games – where linebackers play really well. Like I think back to North Carolina, like they played really well against in North Carolina game. They played really well in the Clemson game, but then there were far too many games where you're just like, I don't, I don't really know. I don't really know what that linebacker was doing on that play. Right. Like I think it was the USC game with Maris Loyfow where I'm just like, I genuinely don't know what he was doing on the goal line there. I have no idea what he was doing. And there were far too many of those moments last year, far too many. And it's maddening when you consider, because we've talked about this a ton, Notre Dame has recruited the linebacker position as well as anybody the last two years. I mean, you get that four-man haul in 2022. And again, I know Joshua Burnham and Julian Taliamaka are playing Viper now, but you still have Nolan Ziegler and Jalen Sneed. And you followed that up with Preston Zinter, Jay Nosberry, Drake Bowen, who are all early enrollees, by the way. So you have a lot of dudes on this roster that have talent. And I don't want this to be like shade for a second because I feel like some people think that 
the trio of J.D. Bertrand, Maris Leutel, and Jack Kaiser aren't talented as well. Like, there might be more talented guys behind you, but that doesn't mean that you don't have talent either, right? Like, can we just kind of get rid of that conversation piece? But ultimately, Brian, like, I'm very interested because you saw that it felt like there was like a – there was a push against letting some of the young guys learn on the job a little bit next year. Last year, excuse me. This year coming up, that – that conversation's out the window, right? Because they had the year in the weight room. They had the year of maturation, learning the system, all that great stuff, right? So you go into the spring, and it should be an open opportunity for guys like Nolan Ziegler, Jalen Sneed, et cetera, to get their opportunity to push for playing time. That should be the end goal this spring is to push. Will it happen? I have no idea. I'm very interested to see the Max Bula conversation into this one, though, because ultimately Al Golan's going to decide who plays and who starts and all that great stuff. But there is going to be a different voice in that room, which gives me just thoughts, you know, like it's thought provoking, I think, to just know that there's a new voice in that linebacker room. So will things change? I have no idea. But at the end of the day, if things aren't better than what they were last year, there needs to be some type of change. There has to be. And I think that starts to your point of making the the returning starters feel uncomfortable. I want yes. Maris Loyfell to feel uncomfortable this spring. I want JD to feel uncomfortable. I want Jack to feel uncomfortable. Make them feel uncomfortable because they know that the guys behind them might get a legit chance to get some burn. They might get a legit chance to earn that starting role. Make them uncomfortable, and that makes everybody around them better. Uh, you know, for me, Ryan – I I think I mean you nailed it, man. If if they are if they have to legitimately battle for their job and have to win their job and they do, then I'm I'm good a linebacker. I'm good. Jack Kaiser is a good football player if used correctly. Maris Lufau is a athletic football player. I won't say he's a good football player because he's never shown himself to be a good football player. He's always shown himself to be a really athletic football player. If the light goes on for him, he's really talented. If it doesn't go on for him, then they need to find somebody else. I mean, it's as simple as that, right? This isn't an anti-Maris thing. You were as big on Maris Lufau last year as anybody outside his direct family. You know what I mean? Like, extremely high on him. It, and it's not like, oh, uh, I was wrong. He's not talented. He is talented, Ryan. He's just undisciplined and, and, and inconsistent and doesn't look natural playing football. He just doesn't. We we also you know who we made similar comments about after four years of college, Asmar Bilal, and they worked with him, and they they opened up the competition, they developed him, they spent time with him, and then as a fifth year senior, Asmar goes out there and has seventy nine tackles and ten tackles for loss, on a decent two thousand nineteen defense. I mean that linebacking core was pretty good in twenty nineteen, in my opinion. That wasn't the issue that Notre Dame had in twenty nineteen. Dead other issues. Linebacking core was pretty good. So will that be similar for Marist? I don't know. But if it's not, they need to put somebody else in there because there's, to your point, Rand, there's way too much talent on this depth chart. There's way too much God-given ability in this depth chart for you to be throwing out veterans just because they know the defense. Especially especially in the transfer portal era, man, where it's so easy for a guy to leave, especially. Like, if I – and this is just speculation on my part. Like, I don't have this information, right? But if I'm Jalen Sneed, Brian, and I go into this spring here and as a year two player, and and if nothing gets better and I don't get a legitimate opportunity, right? Like, why would I stay? <laughs> like, why would I stay right. if I'm not going to get a legitimate chance That's the thing. here? Yeah. Guys will stay if they feel like they were given a legitimate shot, but somebody just was better than they were. Kids, kids will deal with that. They will. Yeah. yeah. What kids won't embrace is. I don't feel like I was given a fair shot. Like I've, I've used this example at cornerback. I've talked to some people associated with some of the better, the older corners that got passed up by Benjamin Morrison. Not one of them complained about it. Now, right. were they happy they weren't playing? No, kids want to play. You want competitive players, but they got it. Cause they're like, that guy's a straight dude. And I'm still being coached. This coach is still working with me. He's still pushing me. He's still trying to get me better. And I know that my time will come. And the thought being, well, he's probably gone in two years. <laughs> so you're talking about Benjamin Morrison. You know, Cam's going to be gone in a year. Benjamin's going to be gone in a couple years. If I keep pushing up, my time will come because they feel like they were given a chance. Somebody was just better. You see that all the time. 
when it's it's like, dude, I I'm out here doing you everything you asked me to do. I'm making plays. Everybody knows I'm better than this guy, but you keep playing that guy because and that was what happened with you know with Joe Schmidt. With all and no disrespect to Joe Schmidt, but Ger Martini and I was Morgan. Those guys watching, like, dude, this guy, like, how do you go through an entire game against Clemson and where they threw for ninety some yards in a, in the rain and your middle linebacker literally makes zero tackles, zero Wild. tackles, you know? And so it's 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 those things, and that's where you become disenchanted with with the staff. That's where problems come about in the locker room but if kids are given a legitimate chance and they just get beat out by another player they won't be happy but they'll live with it sure and that's that's going to be the key and you will gain more respect from your players that's going to be the key and we're not saying that Al Golden's not going to open up the competition that's why it's a storyline I'm it's how is it going to be and if he does open it up does one of those young guys emerge because here's the thing Ryan here's the other side of this what if they do open it up but the young guys just don't play well. Right. Right. And they don't push the veterans. They're making a lot of mistakes. They're not doing what they need to do. Well, there, there you go too. Then all of a sudden, maybe we're not feeling better about it. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how, how it plays out. And uh, I would say a similar thing at safety, Ryan, right? Like we know who's going to play for yeah. the, at least in the top three, but is it, of that three, we're talking Xavier Watts, Ramon Henderson, and DJ Brown. Who's the starters? Who plays the most snaps? Is it an evenly divided thing between the three? Does somebody else step up? Does Justin Walters make a jump? Do they finally do what they should have done last year and move Clarence Lewis to safety? Do, do they? Does Does Ben Minich make a run this spring as an early enrollee? Safety is another one that, that I'm curious about, Ryan, because I feel the same way at safety, you know, does Thomas Harper just play pure nickel or does he also play some safety? How are they going to utilize him at the safety depth chart, if at all? That's another interesting one that I'm curious to see how it shakes out this this spring, Ryan, because if Ramon Henderson and Xavier Watts make it a no-brainer that DJ Brown needs to come off the bench, then I really like where they're at at safety. It could be their best safety. It has a chance, and again, this is a long way from here to getting there. But there's an opportunity based on just God-given ability that this could be the best one-two punch of safety that Notre Dame has had, one-two, since 2018 with Elohi Gilman and Jalen Elliott. So it's going to be fun to see how it shakes out. And it's very dependent on breakouts, obviously, right? Like every, all Notre Dame fans all know about Xavier Watts and Ramon Henderson because you've seen flashes of it, right? Like, I mean, you remember when Ramon Henderson made the switch to safety from cornerback a couple years ago, and he had like that rangy interception against what was Virginia, right? Where he kind of came over the top and made that great play. He also had that great uh, tackle for loss off the edge. Remember, he blitzed off the edge and blew a running back up in the back. In the, in the back. I think that was his first or second game playing safety, Ryan, if <laughs> I remember correctly. Yeah, so I mean, you've you've had the the spurts and the flashes of a, of a Ramon Henderson already over the last couple of years since moving to safety. You had the flashes down the stretch of Xavier Watts. I mean, against USC specifically, like he looks like he was a potential dude going into both this offseason. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, South Carolina as well. So you have both those guys who Notre Dame fans know, Notre Dame fans have seen, but now it's from flashes to every down production. Can you get there? Right? Like that's a big question mark, you know? And I I am very high on Xavier Watts. I think that Xavier Watts has the potential to be a difference maker on the back end for Notre Dame in 2023. But I mean, he was a guy that was kind of going back and forth between the wide receiver safety conversation, you know, and then he really just started hitting his spurts down the stretch of the season this past year. So can he use that momentum down the stretch and really take hold of a safety spot this offseason and really just go get running with it, man, because he has the opportunity to take that momentum and continue to build off of it. Ramon Henderson has a chance to do so as well. I mean, because I think for me, Brian, like DJ Brown coming back, DJ Brown is really good insurance, right? He's good insurance and he's dependable. We know that there's a little bit of a cap on how good that DJ Brown could be, though, because he's not the greatest athlete of all time. Which is Ideally, why he led the team in missed tackles last year because you get him in yes. space and he's going to have a tougher time. That's yep. just no doubt. And, and he's a player, though, 
that if he is the third or fourth safety on your roster and he can give you some snaps and he can be a leader and he do all that type of stuff, that's great. That's a, that's the type of player that a lot of programs need in, in, in a guy like a DJ Brown, right? And to bring that kind of baseline and that type of floor to the game. But I honestly think that it's a very troubling if you leave the spring and then head into the fall with DJ Brown as kind of the foregone conclusion at safety. Like that is bad news for Notre Dame. It yep. is because that means one of the other two guys that we talked about didn't take a step forward. Yep. And that is just, that's my biggest worry, honestly, at the safety position is I think that in an ideal world, you leave the spring and you're like, yep, Xavier Watts and Ramon Henderson are going to be the starters going into the fall. Like they are. DJ Brown, solid player, going to give us really nice depth, going to be able to work in when we need him to and fill a role just fine. And then after that, it's about, you know, can Ben Minich keep taking a step forward? Can Justin Walters take a, a step forward? Can Don Schuler, although limited, obviously, in the spring coming back from the shoulder, can he mentally get some some nice stuff out of the spring and be able to kind of see the game and then hopefully come back into the fall practice and be ready to go, obviously, physically, right? So there's a lot of storylines there. But for me, Brian, it starts with those two guys up top. You really – you really are going to depend on Xavier Watts or Ramon Henderson to be guys for you going into this offseason. And if they are, you're in a really good spot. Yeah. And if they both take a step forward, you feel really good about it. But if one doesn't take a step forward or none doesn't take a step forward, then we're talking yeah. about safety maybe being a little bit of trouble going into the fall. I don't know if I would go quite there with you, Ryan, because these are the three guys that were basically playing safety last year at the end of the year. And so I feel like at least you're gonna you're not gonna be any worse than you were last year. I mean, because when Brandon Joseph, I mean, he didn't even play all the time. He didn't play the second half of the year when the defense was playing its best ball. When he did play, he was wildly inconsistent. Houston Griffith was just kind of steady. I don't know if I'd say they're gonna be in trouble. I just don't think they're gonna get better. And what does that mean? It means in the two or three games where you're actually facing athletes that are on your level or better you're going to have some problems. And we saw that in the second half against Ohio State where the safeties couldn't make the impact plays on the sidelines. They couldn't make the impact plays in the run game. Uh, we saw that against USC where the safeties didn't make, you know, had missed chances. I mean, we kind of joke about Xavier Watts coming off the hash and breaking up that pass. But the reality is, Ryan, he should have picked that off. You know, if he takes a better angle, he's got to pick that off. Ramon Henderson, for example, uh, you know, the thing for him is, right, he's to me the key to this whole thing. He really is. Because you DJ is what he is. He's a solid football player that's yeah. made some good plays in Notre Dame and has been in situations where he's you know his lack of athleticism has hurt him a little bit. Xavier Watch flash. I, I it's it's probably wrong of me, but I have like this just kind of assumption that Xavier Watts is going to be really good this year. I'm not worried about him at all. Ramon's the wild card for me because you met you you nailed it early, Ryan. There are flashes where you're like, yo, if we can get that dude on a consistent basis, that's a good football player. Sure. But then there's other snaps where you're like, does this guy have any idea what he's doing in coverage right now? Like, I just, I don't know what he's doing right now. You know, why, why is he giving up completion rate of like 80 some percent in coverage? Like that's got to get better. We're literally, you know? in, we're one off season from the conversation all off season last year, Brian was especially in the spring with Brandon Joseph coming in was Brandon Joseph and Ramon Henderson are going to be the starting safeties, you know, they're right. going to be the impact players. Like we're literally one off season removed from Ramon Henderson being the guy last year, potentially. So we've had kind of this conversation piece in back-to-back years now where mm-hmm. we're like, is this Ramon's time? Is this Ramon's time? Is it going to happen? I mean, because the kid athletically is talented. There's no doubt. Sure. He has some length. He's a good athlete. He can move. He has range on the back end. He's pretty good as a blitzer. Never be allowed to blitz. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, he has a lot of attributes that you look like and say, I look at and say, versatility-wise, he can provide a lot to a defense on the back end. But this is the second offseason in a row now where we're saying Ramon could be a breakout. He could be a breakout. At some point, he needs to break out or it's not going to happen. Because right now, Ryan, he's a really good athlete that's not yeah. a really good football player. Okay. He needs to become a really good football player. And that's going to be the question. Like, DJ Brown is actually a, a pretty good football player. He's just limited athletically. Yeah. That's when DJ gets in trouble is just when he's in situations where he's just outmatched athletically. If you could put DJ's feel for the game into Ramon's athletic body, you've got a heck of a player. Yeah. I think that's the thing is, does the light go on for Ramon this all? And we've now used that expression. I've now used that expression like, what, four times now? But that's what's so fun about the spring because – you could see it, right? Like 
we didn't we didn't see Miles Boykin break out in the 2018 fall. We saw Miles break out in the 2018 spring when he absolutely abused Troy Pride and Julian Love, especially Julian Love, all spring. I mean, just all spring, we watched Miles just abusing him. Like, okay, that guy's going to be pretty good this year. But it was one of those things, Ryan, where, you know, the light kind of just went on against LSU. He, yep. he didn't do a whole lot during the regular season. Comes out in that game. You're, you're at Cam Smith's out. Freddie Cantine had been out. Chase Claypool had was out. He missed that. And then Equinemius St. Brown gets hurt in the first half. And then all of a sudden you're like, you got Michael Young, Chris Fink, and Mike and Chase and Miles Boykin. That's about all you have left healthy in the second half. Somebody's got to step up. Well, you know what? Miles stepped up in that game and then carry that over into the fall. That's kind of what I'm expecting to see from Xavier Watts. He kind of broke out late in the year and I expect it. But does 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 Ramon Henderson have that spring light went on moment? Does does it happen for Burnham? Does it happen for Onye? Does it happen for Maris? Does it happen for Jalen Sneed? Does it happen for Nolan Ziegler? Does it happen? There's, I mean, we could go down this list. And the more answers that to that that are yes, the better this defense is going to be. Sure. That's the reality of it. Because I don't think the safety position is going to be bad this year unless guys take a step back. Because again, we've seen this three man rotation in action. They weren't the problem against USC. They weren't the problem against South Carolina. Matter of fact, the safeties made some plays in that game. They can at least be solid, but you don't win a championship with solid safeties. That's the thing. So that's the standard. The standard is, can you play well enough to be part of a championship caliber defense? They didn't play that way last year. So now are they in trouble as if this is a liability? I don't think they're a liability. But if you got a bunch of positions that aren't a liability, they're just solid. Guess what, Ryan? You don't have a championship defense. Right. You've got to be better than that. And that's the that's the question mark for me. And I think Ramon is going to be the key to that. Because if Xavier breaks out and Ramon doesn't, then you're going to have to put DJ Brown on the field more. Look, DJ Brown played over 500 snaps last year. That I, I don't necessarily want to see that again. And this is no shot on DJ Brown. DJ Brown gives you great leadership. He gives you great effort. He's a, a smart kid. But the reality is he should not be playing almost 200 more snaps than Ramon Henderson. Just shouldn't. Right. Now, Ramon didn't earn more snaps last year. I, I don't I don't fault them for playing DJ because with Ramon, he wasn't going to get beaten space like DJ was. But you know what? He wasn't going to completely whiff on a coverage completely blow a coverage. DJ wasn't going to do that. That was the concern with Ramon. If Ramon can figure it out and those snap numbers get reversed, where it's Ramon that's got 504 snaps and it's DJ that's got 319 snaps, I feel really good, as long as it's not injury-related. Right. I feel really good about where the safety position is going to be. Because it could be a strength, Ryan. I just I don't know that it is. But this whole conversation, this the, the issue is there's a very thin margin for error at safety. We're hoping that the light finally goes on for Ramon Henderson. But this is this this conversation that you and I just had is exactly why Clarence Lewis needs to move to safety. It, sure. it is because you you can't be in a situation where you realize halfway through fall camp, well, the light hasn't gone on for Ramon. What what are you gonna do now? You missed right. 30 practice opportunities to get Clarence Lewis ready to play that position as well. And if Clarence steps up and plays well and Ramon steps up and plays well, then now all of a sudden with Clarence Lewis, you have a Swiss Army knife that can play corner, can play nickel, can play safety. It's a great problem to have. And Ramon and Xavier are dudes, and, and now DJ is a nice rotation player that gives you leadership and all that veteran presence. That That's the ideal situation for me, to be honest with you, Ryan, because I don't know if, the, if you can really say that there's a legitimate competition at both safety spots when there's not enough guys to push at each spot. There's one guy right now at safety that's pushing for two spots behind Ramon and and Xavier. That's it. So it's not like linebacker. You move Clarence there, and all of a sudden, hey, you're not moving Clarence Lewis to sit the bench, Ryan. You're not. You're moving Clarence to have a shot start. All of a sudden, what you talked about at linebacker now becomes true at safety, and I don't think that hurts the defense at all. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, and I think that I think that for me too, the other side of it is you also need to protect yourself with competitive depth too, right? It's it's like one of those situations where I mean, God forbid something happens to a Xavier Watts or a Ramon Henderson in the spring and they're out for a substantial amount of time. It's like, where's now your impact players? Like there's not like, a, you know, there might just be, and yeah, Brandon, I know Brandon hit it in the chat there. You know, if there's one or two injuries, they're in trouble. And I, I agree, Brandon, like it's, you're in a situation where you might have one potential impact safety if there's an injury, but do you have another one that is serviceable? Do you have another one that is a, just a good contributor? Like, it it just gets really murky in that conversation. I think the other part too is the reason I think Xavier Watts breaking out and becoming that type of guy too, Brian is like the one thing that I think is missing with this defense consistently is some juice on multiple levels, right? A guy that kind of you know plays their hair on fire and kind of brings that competitive toughness and a guy that guys I think could gravitate towards. I think that that could be Xavier Watts in this defense. Like if he takes a step forward, and if he's like one of the guys on the defensive side of the football, he's got a little bit of that swagger to him where you're like, I'll follow that guy, right? Like, I'll follow that guy. I'm not sure if you have a guy in the front seven right now that is for sure that guy, maybe outside of Jordan Batelho. Like, that's the only guy that brings like that, like that, that, you know, that energy type of thing where you're like, yeah, that guy's like, he can get his juice almost ready an to edge. Go. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, well, of the guys that played last year, I would agree with you for yeah. sure. Riley Mills can be that guy at times, but the problem is Riley doesn't make enough plays and enough consistently enough to be that guy. When he does, he plays with fire. He plays with energy and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I think you're right. And that's, that's, um, it's going to be interesting and very fascinating. Last key, Ryan, as we wrap this up, we got to see something this spring that tells us they're addressing the red zone issue. Yeah. I I mean, you want to talk about, okay, what does Notre Dame need to do to get better? I mean, there's no bigger area on the entire team than red zone defense. Let me let me give you some numbers, Ryan. Okay. Last year, Notre Dame ranked 20, 39th in scoring defense. That's their lowest ranking on scoring defense since 2016. Right? That's just a fact. It's their lowest ranking from a scoring defense standpoint since 2019. So um, you, you you look at that and say, well, okay, you had a couple situations where, you know, you, you gave up, you gave up some offensive touchdowns. I get all that, but that happens to every team. Every team has a couple plays like that, right? So if you, if you look at it and you consider that Notre Dame ranked 130th out of 131 teams in red zone defense, and they ranked dead last, 131st last year in red zone defense, that 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 more if nothing else gets fixed and you fix that you're a much better defense and I'm gonna back it up with numbers Ryan okay so this is what I wrote the other day if Notre Dame kept everything the same and simply improved from a hunt from dead last to 70th in in red zone touchdown defense they right now shave two whole points off their point per game average and jump from 39th to 25th okay if they make that same improvement, and that's that's assuming that every single red zone stop is is ends in a field goal, so you still give up. You're still 130th out of 130 in total red zone defense, but you get better just in red zone touchdown defense. So every one gets turned into a field goal. You jump, you take two points off, and you jump up to 25th in scoring defense. If you make those same stops, and you simply give up field goals on half of those possessions, which doesn't raise them up way, way high in red zone defense. They're still low, but you all of a sudden jump up now, Ryan, to 19th nationally in scoring defense. 
And if Notre Dame can jump up and become a just a top 20 red zone defense, which they were the year before, well, here, I'll give you this stat. I won't go through the whole thing. I'll give you this stat. If Notre Dame simply simply matched its 2021 red zone stats, just matched what they did in 2021. So I'm not asking them to be Bama or Georgia or Ohio State or Clemson or Wisconsin. Just be what you were in 2021. They have the number nine scoring defense in college football last year. If nothing else changes, just that. No more sacks, no more tackles for loss, no more turnovers. Nothing else changes. You go from 39th to 30th or 39th to 9th in scoring defense, right? So that's the thing is, yes, other areas hopefully improve, but if you can just get back to where you were in previous years in red zone defense, all of a sudden, Ryan, you've got a chance to make a big jump in scoring. And for a team that lost a game by five, a team that lost a game by two, a team that lost a game by 11 to Ohio State, but – if you make one red zone stop in that game, all of a sudden you've got the ball at the end of the game with a chance to go for a win. Same thing against USC. And, and so those are the things you look at, Ryan, and say if you just improve that area and nothing else on your football team changes, just that one stat in 2022, you go from being a nine and four football or a nine and uh, eight and four football team to a 10 and two football team, just like that. Yeah. Right. And then if you can, and that's, I'm talking no improvements on offense, no improvements on defense, no improvements on special teams anywhere, just right there, scoring red zone defense. All of a sudden, you're a 10 and two football team. That's how bad it was last year. And, and if they can get better at it, this defense is going to make a big jump, even if we don't necessarily see other jumps. Now, again, right, those other improvements can often be a byproduct or can, can lead to better red zone defense. But the, Look, there's things the players need to do better in the red zone. You don't rank dead last in touchdown defense if it's your, if it, because your players stink. There's clear schematic and, and coaching problems that were going on that need to get addressed. That is the biggest thing that must be addressed this spring, and I'm very curious to see if they're able to because the Notre Dame offense was actually pretty good in the red zone last year. They didn't get there as much that much but when they got there they were pretty good at it the defense didn't allow you to get to the red zone very often but when they did they couldn't stop you right if if they can just get better there then all of a sudden you're talking about a much 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 better scoring defense ryan a much better scoring defense and i i feel like one thing and i I don't i wouldn't say this is always true all the time but I think for the most part, man, when you talk about those really, really good defenses, and this isn't even just specific to Notre Dame, it's usually teams that in the big moments rise to the occasion, right? And I feel like that's kind of the that's kind of where we are in the red zone, especially, you know, like the bend but don't break, you know, and don't break. Like that 2012 defense, right, for Notre Dame. Like that, I just feel like every time you got on a goal line situation defensively in 2012. Notre Dame rose to the occasion, you know, like if you, you think about the Stanford game that year, right, where you stop Stephon Taylor short on fourth down, like just feels like those really good defense always kind of step up in those big moments, if that makes sense. Do you know what Notre Dame ranked in red zone touchdown defense in 2012, Ryan? Probably pretty good, I would assume. Third. Yeah. It it backs up what you just said. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole thing is, is if Notre, imagine if Notre Dame's defense this past year ranked where that defense ranked. I mean, they gave up. So, so it, it's actually a very interesting statistical comparison, Ryan. Yeah. Because Notre Dame's defense in two thousand and in uh, in, in two thousand and twenty two had ten had thirty four. They gave up thirty four red zone opportunities. The two thousand and twelve defense gave up thirty eight red zone opportunities. So it's pretty close. Neither neither team allowed their opponents to get into the red zone very often. Yeah, And Alabama obviously had five. Big part of the reason that you beat Michigan, Michigan got into the red zone five times, Ryan, five times, and they scored zero touchdowns. Zero. Win, man. Oklahoma win. got into the, into the red zone four times. They only scored one touchdown, right? That, that you're, you nailed That's exactly how you win. And as, whereas, so they in, they, in 38 red zone opportunities, they gave up only 13 touchdowns that season that's outstanding if this past year Notre Dame had 34 red zone opportunities and they gave up 27 touchdowns 
like you cut that down to where kind of they were in 2022 or 20, excuse me, 2021. If you cut that down to where they were in 2000 and in, uh, in, in 21, now 2021, they gave up a lot more red zone opportunities. Notre Dame ranked 74th in the country in red zone, red zone trips allowed, but they ranked fourth in the nation in red zone in red zone touchdowns in 47 red zone trips. The 2021 defense gave up only 18 touchdowns, ranked fourth nationally. Which is nine less than. (laughs) Yes. On 13 fewer or 13 more red zone trips than what they had in 2022. So, I mean, it's, it's plain and it's, it's plain and simple. It's clear as day, whatever expression you want to use, Ryan, if the red zone defense can get back on track, and again, we're just asking it to be what it has been at other times in Notre Dame's tenure. That's all we're asking. Yep. Then all of a sudden, and they've had two or three other top 30 finishes in red zone touchdown defense. Even if you don't necessarily get all the way up to like top five, if and this is one of the stats that I had in my in my article, Ryan, is if you just simply get up to the to rank 20th. Right, which isn't even a, a insane. If you just jump up and you rank twentieth, all of a sudden Notre Dame goes from thirty ninth, and and this is again, this works with just overall red zone defense, where you know you give up some field goals and and, and certain things. Uh, but like so, like normal is like you you know half of your half of your trips end in field goals. You don't you know you don't give up field goals on all of them. You don't stop them on all six of them. That's neither of them. You're all of a sudden jumping up to sixteenth in the nation in scoring defense. If Notre Dame ranks 16th in the nation in scoring defense this year, it's going to be a team that's battling for a playoff spot in November. I, I mean, they they could have done that last year, Ryan, with a terrible offense for most of the year. So, it, I, what did we see from them to get them to get that fixed? That's going to be a big question mark because that's one area Ryan where if you get better there all of a sudden we're having a whole different conversation about what Al Golden's defense looked like in 2021 22 and the, the tough part about that conversation is that there could be so many different contributing factors for why you need you can get better there right or why you weren't good there I should say just kind of flashing back it's like you know, maybe you aren't as big up the middle, which we know Notre Dame isn't, right? So maybe you're able to get run on a little bit more. Maybe your linebackers have some bad reads on the second level and you're kind of opening up gaps in the run game. Maybe there's miscommunication on the back end. Maybe you're not being advantageous with your play calls as far as like calling the right thing in the right opportunity in the right spot. Like there's so many different factors, I think, that kind of go into why a red zone defense isn't great. And I think that we saw... Some, I mean, some of those things for sure, but like, you know, you have to find answers to that, right? Like whether that is playing some of the younger, bigger defensive linemen, whether that is putting a different linebacker on the field that maybe is a little bit more assignment sound, whether that is being a little bit more conscious, excuse me, of understanding the communication level in the, in the red zone is so important, right? Because you're going to play a lot of man coverage in, in, in the red zone. Like that's just kind of a foregone conclusion, right? So your communication needs to be really good in those instances because there's going to be some op- chances where you're probably going to have to switch. Like there's going to be some times that that happens. So I think all those factors can kind of play into why a red zone defense isn't great. And I think it's up for Al Golden and this staff to understand this is our biggest issues and we need to kind of find resolutions to that very quickly. So that'll be a big storyline all spring and all summer and all fall until we see it. And, you know, you you look at it and you say, you know, Ohio state, two red zone trips, both touchdowns. Again, I'll I'll say it again. You lost 21, you lost 21 to 10. If just one of those trips turns into a field goal, not even stopping them all to get, just turns into a field goal. It's 17, 10 and you get the ball at the end of the game. Your offensive play calling changes dramatically. You know, some other games, you look at Cal, two out of three. Cal had a shot to win, tie that game at the end. You make one more red zone stop, and that's not the case. North Carolina, again, three for three. on Three red zone trips, three touchdowns. UNLV, three for three. Syracuse, three for three. Clemson, two of three. Navy, two of three. USC, five of six. So, again, just one of those touchdowns turns into a field goal. You've got a chance to, at the end of the game, to go down and score. Now you need a two-point conversion. But even if you had a bad red zone performance, but it just wasn't as bad, four of six instead of five of six, all of a sudden you got a shot to tie that game up at the end. 
And so that's a, that's the reality, Ryan, is, man, you've got chances to, to be a much better team if you just get better in that one area. And I think that's where I think the NFL model that Al Golden has implemented hurts him the most is there. Because there's no – in the red zone, Ryan, you've got to have something you believe in in the red zone. Hey, look, we're our, we get in the red zone. Our corners are going to do this. We're just sorry, you're just not doing that. We're going to be we're going to be good here, and we didn't see that last year. We didn't see that last year. There was no there's no like okay, we know this is what they like to do in the red zone. I mean, we saw how many times did we see them get into bad man to man matchups? Like you you brought up one recently. Like you're in the red zone and you're asking Jack Kaiser to go man to man against Josh Downs. That's going to be a touchdown for the other team. I'm sorry. That was a much easier touchdown when the one earlier in the game where they beat, get, they scored a touchdown on fourth down, but it required a great route by Josh Downs and a great ball from Drake May to beat Tariq Bracey. It's going to happen sometimes, right? But they're, they're, they're just not good enough. I mean, then they still end up folding. We had a couple, several fourth down touchdowns last year. So you, you got close to stopping them, but then you just couldn't get it done. And it, so it's 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 got to get addressed throughout. And if that gets addressed, Ryan, all of a sudden uh, I'm I'm starting to feel really excited about what this football team is going to be. Yep. There's no doubt about it. So, Ryan, that's going to do it for the football part. We're going to jump to the recruiting aspect next. But before we do, go, folks, if you if you don't mind, can you go ahead and hit the like button for us, right? Uh, if you're listening for the first time, hit that subscribe button and the notification bell so you make sure that you are always getting alerted to when we're having shows. 